Inside the Adventure, episode number 57 with Dan Berlin. If you've ever been afraid to step outside your comfort zone, then you're in the right place. Inside the Adventure features incredible athletes and everyday people sharing their epic stories of pushing life to its limits. Get ready to be inspired, face your fears, and take action with your host, Marshall Mosier. Hey guys, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to give a quick shout out to a good friend's company in the outdoor space called ReadyYeti.com, run by Josh Salvo, a friend who has also been a guest on Inside the Adventure. Ready Yeti showcases new innovative startups in the outdoor space, brands that you've probably never heard of that are making some serious splashes in the outdoor industry. They've recently created a membership program that offers discounts of up to 50% off 70-plus startups in the outdoor space, with new startups being added every month. Throughout your membership, you can also apply to become an ambassador for all of these startups, gain access to limited edition products, and join a community of like-minded outdoor enthusiasts. If you're the kind of person that likes discovering new brands in the outdoor space, showing off unique new gear to your friends, and supporting ethical companies, then check out the Ready Yeti membership program by going to readyyeti.com slash members. Use the code Vestigo and get your first two months for free. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Inside the Adventure. Today, we're going to hear the story of Dan Berlin from Fort Collins, Colorado, the co-founder of Team C Possibilities, a nonprofit dedicated to helping people challenge their perceived limits and redefine possibility. Despite losing Dan's eyesight to the disease cone rod dystrophy, Dan strives to prove that the only limits people truly have are the ones they place on themselves. To showcase this, Team C Possibilities takes on endurance challenges around the world never done before by a blind athlete. They've raced nonstop across the Grand Canyon and back, up the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu in 13 hours, hiked to the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro in the dark in two and a half days, and completed a three-day endurance challenge through over 100 kilometers of remote sections of the Great Wall of China. Their goal is to help Dan make history on seven continents in seven years by inspiring the local children who are also blind by delivering one simple message. Never stop challenging your perceived limits. So I was a seven-year-old, second grader, when I um, realized that um, was having trouble seeing the board. My teacher repeatedly talked with my parents about um, me not paying attention in class. And, you know, as a typical second grader, you know, that, that, often, uh, that often happens. So we went to the eye doctor. And within a month or two after seeing three or four doctors, the um, retinal specialist who I ended up seeing told my parents that I'd be blind by the time I was 20. And as a, as a kid, you know, how do you deal with that? But um, I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania with an outstanding family. Um, my parents took that news, were concerned, of course, but really didn't do anything to change my childhood the whole time I was growing up. They, um, they watched me in hindsight, probably a little closer than, um, they would have otherwise, but I really grew up, you know, riding my bike, 
hiking in the woods, playing with my friends, playing football or baseball or just about anything else in the backyard or in the field across the street from my house. And um, I started off my uh, childhood knowing that I was probably going to be blind and never really thinking about it until um, the reality started to set in much later on in college. When you first heard that news when when you were a kid, it, uh, I know that um, it you might not have uh, kind of reacted to it as as much as maybe I would or, or someone else. But um, what were the first thoughts that were going through your head when you got that news? It was funny. I, I I remember thinking back at that time that I don't think I didn't think I didn't see anything. What I saw was just what I saw. Really didn't have that perception that other people might see things differently than I do. Right. So it was really kind of uh, when you don't really have a, another frame of reference, it doesn't really seem seem different, um, something kind of like that. Exactly. And I think that's one of the things that unconsciously that I did at the time and my parents did for me was not put a label on it. So even though I knew it was there, I didn't become the blind kid in school. And I never thought of myself that way. And in hindsight, when I look back, um, you know, there, there were things I may have been able to do to um, have some slight benefits in um, being able to read better or see the board more clearly or things like that. But on the flip side, I, I really think not having that label put on myself, even though I knew that I had a, a, a condition at that time, really helped shape my future. And when I look back on this now, I really think that's such an... Um, such an important thing that we do um, for and, and with children today, we just have to be careful about not defining their identity for them and allowing them to be children and discover who they are on their own. Absolutely. Did you have to kind of make adjustments to different things that, um, uh, that you maybe weren't able to do or weren't able to experience like throughout that uh, timeline? And as it, seems like it was a bit of a gradual thing. Um, how did you train yourself to adapt to that situation, that environment um, throughout that kind of teenager process? And what was some of those things like? I have a condition called cone rod dystrophy, which was originally diagnosed as Stargardt's disease for the first um, two decades of my life. And this is a slow, steady, progressive loss of central vision um, due to deterioration in the retina. So when I was first diagnosed at seven, um, I had some uh, blurry vision and that was not correctable with glasses. As I progressed on through uh, my childhood into high school, it was interesting. There were so many things that uh, I really didn't know that I, I couldn't do, so I did them anyway. So I played sports, for instance, and I remember I, I, was, I loved playing football. And and at some point, by the time I was 16 years old, I really couldn't see the ball anywhere. And I remember thinking, it's like, how can these people ever actually catch this ball? Because um, they could throw it right at me and I couldn't see it coming. But I really didn't think much about it. All I, all I did was say, okay, well, I'm not going to be a receiver. And um, I ended up being, uh, I went from linebacker, where I had played my first couple of years, moving into defensive end. And at that point, it's probably not what my coach wanted to hear. And I don't think I ever told him, but I just followed the motion. I tackled the person that was in front and um, just learned to adapt that way. 
and realized that I needed to be strong and fast and just go where the motion was and hope I hit the guy with the ball. What I think that taught me without looking, without knowing it at the time and looking back, what I think that really taught me is just to be adaptable, that we can't control what gets thrown our way. The only thing we can really control is how we adapt to it. And there's almost always a, a step we can take. It's just deciding what step that is. Taking that mindset and kind of fast forwarding up a couple of years, um, you know, going into college and um, getting to the point where um, uh, where you really couldn't see anything anymore. How did you take that mindset and apply it into the new type of environment that you had to deal with um, once that happened? I just kept driving forward. I, I honestly, it, it's only been in the past, um, you know, eight to ten years that I've really considered myself vision impaired. Up until then, I, I really always just looked at myself as having an inconvenience that I, I have to figure out a way to get around. I have to figure out a way to um, get the notes off an overhead projector that I can't see because I'm old enough to. Um, I've been in school when we had overheads that they would put up on the board and figure things out that way. But in hindsight, I really think it was all about um, solving the problem and not dwelling too much on what the problem is. As the problem was there, I couldn't do anything about the fact that I could see or not see. What I could do is figure out a way in which I could um, achieve what I wanted to achieve, whether that's getting a good grade in the class or... Um, being able to go um, out on a hike or being able to um, um, pursue different career paths. I know for the vast majority of the population, um, we never have to experience or go through something like that. Um, but there are certain situations we can kind of put ourselves in that, um, that kind of uh, emulate that. Um, and I know you were talking about a, a camping experience and had a really great analogy. Um, can you give us a little bit of a, a visual uh, reference to um, kind of what day-to-day -day life is like? Oh, sure thing. And I'm, I'm often asked uh, or, or people state that I have great hearing. And what I tell them is I, I really don't. You know, um, technically, my hearing is right on average. I just use it more. I just focus on it and pay attention. Um, great example I like to use is imagine camping. If you've ever been out camping in a tent in the middle of the woods, and during the day, you can go into the tent, hang out around the campsite, and um, you see all the stuff going on, and you don't really notice too much about what we hear. But take that exact same scene at 2 o'clock in the morning, pitch black outside, and we tend to hear every single twig snap. We think there's a bear behind every tree rustling every leaf, and we hear all that. Well, our ears aren't working any better. We're just paying attention to them because we're not using our visual sense at all in the middle of the night. And that's the way I rely on my sense of hearing. It's very much so, I'll, I'll tell in crossing a street, for instance, I can tell very, you know, there's a different sound whether a car is approaching or, or leaving. You know, there's different um, nuances to sound that we can use to help paint that picture and give, um, give world texture. With a lot of us, I know when when we're camping and, and we hear a bunch of those uh, twigs snap, we're assuming the worst and there's a million bears around us. Uh, <laughs> and that it, uh, it makes for a, a very scary environment. Um, 
but for everything that you that you do that's um you know that's not just camping at night that's kind of 24/7 life um and a lot of us will make excuses to not go camping for that exact same reason um but despite the fact that you've had to fight through having that um kind of dealing with that environment all the time you've done some incredible absolutely incredible things um that most people would um would have never even dared to try um Tell me a little bit about how that got started, the inspiration for Team C possibilities, um, and the mindset that got you, uh, that really motivated you to overcome that hurdle. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting story, and just stepping back a little bit from there, from the time I was in high school and then college, um, and then graduate school, I was um, never really labeled myself and fought through everything without telling anyone that I was vision impaired. I didn't use a cane. I would fake it all the time when I would meet people. And um, it got to a point, though, where it was hard to fake, and I really hit a low point. So I became much less physically active. Um, I was working a a pretty pretty, um, um, intense job traveling all around the world flying every week and um, having trouble seeing my gates, not being able to find where I was going, um, afraid to ask for help. So I really went through a pretty low period up until uh, my late ni- my late 30s, you know, and it was something just changed at one point. And I was about 37, 38, um, had moved to Colorado, started a, a new company with a business partner, um, left the security of my um, my large corporate job that I had up until that point. And I never forget when I left my, my boss at, at this company, I flew down to, to resign and he just looked at me and said, well, why would you leave? We can never fire you. And that made me realize that I said, yeah, that's, that's exactly why I have to leave because if I don't, I'm going to be too comfortable. And that was one of the, the changes that, that sparked, um, I think almost like the rebirth of my, of my passion of realizing that this isn't a disability, that this is a, this is an inconvenience that I'm not going to let stop me from living the life I want to live. And at that point I had two young children. They um, are great kids. And um, I really looked at them and said, what type of role model do I want to be for them? And what do I want them to think of me? And how can I help them establish a path in their own life, seeing what they can do and not focus on the stuff that they can't do? Because all of us run into things that we just, we feel like we can't do. And that put me on the path of saying, okay, I want to get back into shape. So I started running. Um, I started running in my neighborhood. I was using my cane at that point. And um, I had a pretty safe path around a um, low traffic area didn't run into too many parked cars. And my goal was just go out for a two to three mile run three or four times a week. And it just started there. From that, things progress step by step. It's, um, it's amazing when, when, when we take the first step where the second step leads us. And that's, that's how I got, um, that's how I got going. Oftentimes, that second step is a lot easier than that first step. Uh, what gave you the, the motivation and the encouragement to take that first leap? 
Yeah, the motivation, I had moved to Colorado, um, not being able to drive any longer was difficult and just getting around. So I was feeling pretty low. Uh, I was on the summer vacation with um, my kids who were, let's see, seven and three at that point. We were on the beach and they were making some jokes about um, a beached whale. And I realized that they were talking about me. And, uh, you know, kids are just brutal at sometimes in a very fun way. And then I said, do you really think so? And they're like, yeah, you're not quite as thin as you used to be. And I thought, okay, well, I don't need my eyes to be at least physically in shape. So that was one of the things that kicked me in the pants to start um, getting back into getting outside and um, get moving, get back into shape. So it was really my kids that inspired me or, um, or kicked me in that direction. And once I took the first step, um, it was, it was one thing just followed another. It was interesting when I ran my, I signed up to run my first half marathon as a stretch goal. And I thought, this is it. I never run that far in my life. This was eight years ago, almost nine years ago now. And I thought that was it. It was that first step. I said, okay, I'm going to run a half marathon. That was my goal. I gave myself three months and well, started training for it. Oh, maybe five miles. So a half yeah. marathon is is a significant step up from that. It's a huge step up. It, it was, and um, I didn't know what I was getting into as I as I got into it. A week out from the race, I thought, "Oh, this is great! I think I can finish this thing." And um, but how do I do it in a way that I'm not going to affect anybody else's race? Or what if there's cones on the course and I don't see the cones and trip right into them? I called the race director and he was great. He said, oh, no problem. Let me put the word out. I'll find somebody who can guide you. And I never knew anything about guiding or, or even running. I didn't know there was such a thing as the um, U.S. Blind Athletes Association or anything like that out there. I didn't know Achilles existed. I just decided I wanted to run and started running and then figured it out later as, um, as I was going. So we ended up finding a guide, ran the race together. It was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. I finished this half marathon. I thought I was going to die. You know, that, that was it. But the second step was the, the woman who's now a great friend of mine, Connie, who um, guided me in that first race. She called me a week later and said, hey, um, there's another race coming up in about four or five weeks. Um, if you want to run it, I'll do it with you. And I thought, hmm, I thought it was done. I filled that bucket and um, that was checked off the list. But I said, okay. And that's where it started. So I ran a second race. After the second race, I started to identify myself as, uh, as a runner. And then it just went from there. So when, when you finished that first race, um, maybe it took a little while, but at the very end of that race, did you, did you think you were going to do another one and that you were going to continue this? Or were you kind of like, I accomplished my goal, I'm done? Um, what was going through your head? Yeah, when I finished that first half marathon, I thought I was done. I mean, that was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. I thought I filled up that bucket, checked that off a list, and I was done. And um, it wasn't until uh, you know a friend um, called me and offered to run a, a second race with me that really encouraged me to uh, take a second step. And that's um, that's when I started to identify myself as a runner. When, whenever I go on runs, sometimes I try to 
close my eyes and think what it would look like, uh, really feel what it would look like to do that. And I, I can't run more than three steps like that without feeling like I'm going to run into a telephone pole, <laughs> um, regardless of whether there's any telephone poles in the vicinity. I think it's more of a mental thing. But when, when you were, when you were first training for that, that half marathon, um, was, was the hardest part, the, the physical part of the half marathon or, um, kind of the mental challenge you had to overcome, um, in not being able to see the cones and the course and, and everything else. Yeah. That's the funny part, um, about it too. The mental part is harder than the physical part. Um, if you can imagine running with your eyes closed, the amount of tension and stress that one carries in the back of their neck, across their shoulders, that hesitation of, Am I going to step on something? Am I going to run into something? It's exactly everything a running coach tells you not to do. You know, they tell you run, run loose, relaxed, loose ankles, just flow. And when there's that um, hesitation all the time about what's in front, it makes it very difficult. That that was the hardest thing to train through, and it took me years to get past that. That's when we came together and formed Team C Possibilities with Alice and Charles, Brad and myself, with three guides and me, that's really one of the things that was the, the best part about the team, that we've really come to a thing where I just relax and just sink into the moment. And Alice and Charles or Brad, they have the responsibility of being the eyes, which is a tremendous amount of work for them. But what that allows me to do is just feel the surroundings and just be present. Because I, I relinquish control of where we're heading to them. And there's a, there's a huge freedom in just being able to let go. What's that freedom like? Uh, does it go from a little bit more of kind of a feeling of fear and um, kind of anticipation into something else? Yeah, it's a, it's a feeling of tension. It's a feeling of anxiety, anticipation. And that turns into just being in the flow. It turns into just being able to let that go and do what I'm supposed to do. It comes from doing it enough times together with the same people that um, we know how to communicate. We know how to interact. Sometimes it's verbal. Sometimes it's nonverbal. Sometimes it's just in the way that they move and I follow or somebody's behind me. And I have that confidence that somebody's right behind my pack too. If I were to step off the, the edge of a cliff, they would grab me. And it allows for us just to flow. Speaking of stepping off the edge of a cliff, um, I, I would feel like it is hard enough to, to run a half marathon on a flat pavement. Um, how did you go from that to the formation of the TMC possibilities idea and ultimately being able to complete that first task of running from the rim to rim of the Grand Canyon where there are those cliffs that you could literally step off of. Yeah. Well, let me just start off by saying trail running for a person who is blind is probably the worst sport possible to choose. It's hard to find something um, more difficult than that to do. Um, so it's pretty much the reason why we chose it. 
And <laughs> it's just a little let go sometimes. So you, you know, chose it fall. because it was it was one of the biggest challenges that you can. Yep, do. just like JFK says, we do these things because they're difficult. You know, that's uh, exactly. that's why it's because it's the challenge. So I lived in New York City for several years. After I, I started running, I really realized I really wanted to run the New York City Marathon. So I signed up and asked Charles Scott, a good friend of mine, and and strong accomplished athlete who was living in New York City if he'd run it together and he didn't hesitate jumped right in and um, we ran the marathon together it was a great experience we decided we wanted to do more so um, at that point I moved into triathlon a little bit and he and I ran a a triathlon together two years later um, a half Ironman um, which went great and by that point we decided that let's take on something really big And that's where the idea of running rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon came from. Charles said, if I wanted to try it, he'd be willing to guide me. And um, he had been talking about this with our other teammates, um, Allison and um, another friend of his, Brad Graff, who also were enthused about trying to run this. Brad had done it once before, I believe. And um, that's how we got together. We, the four of us said, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to run this 46 miles, rim to rim to rim extremely hard trail run and um we're going to do it all in one day so the the trail run for the grand canyon is not something that someone starts off trail running with um was that the first uh kind of big goal that you set or did you do other trail runs before that yeah that's funny you ask that i mean this is kind of the way uh, life goes um yes that was my first trail run you know, that's, I, that's <laughs> I didn't do anything to build up. I trained like a lot. Saying, right, right, right. That's, that's incredible. Um, so was, was your training also on trails or was it more of kind of the half marathon continuation of what you've been doing before? A lot on trails. One of the beauties of living in Colorado, like I do now is just access to, um, the outdoors everywhere, you know, um, it's fantastic. And a lot of, a strong, active trail running community that, um, I fell right in with and always had guides that were willing to put up with me stumbling over rocks. You know, uh, it's funny for me going down a trail, going uh, descending is um, much harder than going up. So it throws people off a little bit. My pace oftentimes will be faster going up than descending just because of the, uh, I don't know where I'm putting my feet and the risk of turning an ankle or hitting something the wrong way is so significant that I really found trails that I was very familiar with and um, learned them through repetition and then would run them every day. So when you first tackled kind of this idea, when you first set out to do the Grand Canyon from, from rim to rim, um, what, was the, what was the underlying purpose behind it? Was it to challenge yourself and see, can I physically do this? Um, or did it, uh, was that kind of the very beginning of really the mission that you've created behind Team C Possibilities and the inspiration uh, that you've provided through it? Yeah, so the spark of the mission came after we completed the Grand Canyon. The spark of the mission actually came from the outside. I was really surprised at how much interest there was after we had done this. How many people were interested in, in hearing the story and telling the story about this, um, you know, crossing the canyon and back? And that became the spark of Team C Possibilities. After that, we then formed the official team and really took on the mission of 
encouraging others to go beyond their perceived limitations. And that has, that has evolved into a strong focus on children now as well. So after you completed that first amazing initiative with the Grand Canyon goal, um, how did it evolve into that mission and ultimately the campaign that you've set out to create um, today? We had some we had some great media coverage and a, a lot of people very interested in um, in just this feat going across. And um, it was interesting. So oftentimes people would say, oh, that's so inspiring. That's so inspiring. And I really looked at it and say, well, you know, this shouldn't be inspiring. I could see maybe um, motivational in a lot of ways to for each one of us to just get out, get outside and um, and try something. Try something we're not comfortable with. As um, Charles always says, uh, teammate Charles, if it excites and intimidates you, it's probably worth doing. And that's what this was for me. So after coming off the Grand Canyon, this became something that um, both excited and intimidated me about finding a new challenge and trying something new. And the purpose that started to coalesce around this was really about the ability to help other people that might not um, that might not be um, taking advantage of what they really can do. And because I'm vision impaired, it was a community of people that I could relate to very well. I could speak to what they were going through and how they were adapting a lot of ways, especially children. And that's the point where we decided to form this together to do these outrageous endurance challenges in different countries all around the world, focusing in on allowing kids to be kids, especially kids with any sort of disability or vision impairment, and allowing them to really um, live their life without being labeled and find out really what they, who they are and what they can do. That's where the, that's where the meaning came in behind the team. What was it like for you personally to know that this had evolved from something that was about challenging yourself um, into something that would have an effect on people well beyond uh, yourself and the core team? Yeah, that's what I, that's what I love. I, I'm most excited about the impact we can potentially have on others. Um, I do love challenging myself. That's a personal, uh, I get personal enjoyment out of doing that. But what I really love is being able to, to, to help somebody who's struggling right now, to help someone who maybe has doubts about what they can do and, um, to really say that, that they can often do a lot more than they think they can. And, um, and so often I work in my career and in, um, team C possibilities all around the world. I do a lot of work in Africa. We just returned from a trip from Asia where we were running on the great wall and working with children in countries, um, where they may not have as many opportunities for uh, education and, and the stigma of being blind is more strong than it is in the U S I think we can make a powerful difference there. Uh, we don't know what these kids are, what their potential is and what, who they can grow up to be. And we don't want to limit them. We want to let them be themselves and tell them and teach them that they can be. And that's so powerful. I mean, that to me is, um, is what's worth living for. For those kids, the inspiration of seeing what you're doing uh, and hearing about the story um, is obviously 
going to make an incredible impact on their lives. Was, was there someone like that for you when you were young? Um, and, uh, if there was, or if there wasn't, how, um, how would it have affected you as a kid to see, uh, kind of what you're doing today? Um, and, uh, be able to know what, uh, kind of what that would, uh, how that would have affected you as a kid. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I do what I do now is I did not have a strong role model when I was a kid. And I hid it so much so, I, uh, whether it was um, you know being ashamed of not being able to do everything I wanted to do or not being like the others. So I didn't have that. And I often look back and say, wow, if I did have someone there that I could see that everything can be okay. I could have removed the the burden of having to hide my disability a lot earlier and started embracing life at a much younger age. It's not that I had a a, a bad childhood, but I always had this underlying anxiety about um, not being good enough, not being able to do what everybody else could do. And I'd like to remove that burden from as many people as I can. Because the thing that changed for me was, again, in my late 30s, after I ran that first half marathon and after I started to identify as an athlete, I started to look at blindness. It was who I am, and it defined my character in a positive way. I really, I think I became a better person because I'm blind, and it just defines me in a, in a way that now allows me to to make something positive out of it. And I'd like to, I'd like to pass that on. I'd like to tell kids I come across and, and everybody that um, is struggling with this, that it's okay just to be yourself. You know, you can be a, a fantastic person. You don't have to be anything you're not. A lot of times it's really human nature to, to make excuses for things that come up uh, and things we think we can't do. Um, it's so clear that at an early age, uh, you didn't let anything um, stand in your way from uh, not uh, stand in your way to um, to tell you couldn't do something. Um, if you could go back and and tell um, yourself at a young age or someone that's dealing with something similar, kind of one piece of advice, uh, kind of along those lines, what would it be? I love the 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 um, the saying I heard uh, a couple years ago. And it is whenever you use the word can't, always have to add the word yet at the end of the sentence. So it's perfectly fine to say, I can't speak Spanish as long as we add the word yet. So I can't run a marathon yet. I can't speak Spanish yet. And just by simply saying that, that allows the potential to be there. So we're not saying that this is impossible. All we're now saying is I haven't chosen to make it possible yet. And that, to me, is the essence of, of um, what we're talking about here. It's the essence of not limiting ourselves. You know, There are so many things out there that are challenges that we face, but the way we grow and the way we experience life is by is by taking them on rather than running away from them. 
So with with that quote that that you mentioned that I that I love so much um, that whenever you say can't you have to add the word yet to the end. What are some things that are to uh, to be accomplished for you and Team C possibilities uh, that you can't yet do but will do in the future? What are some of those goals um, on uh, kind of other parts of the world that you've uh, set out to um, to achieve kind of a, a new milestone? Definitely. We, as Team C Possibilities, we're constantly working on how we can um, improve our positive impact on the world. So there are still a lot of things that we haven't done yet. Um, there's um, a lot of children we'd like to reach. There's um, opportunities that we'd like to um, share with others, whether they're athletically, academically, career-wise, family-wise. Um, there's still a lot of work for us um, still to do. And we're learning every day. I think one of the things with Team C Possibilities is, you know, just like uh, I, I am in life is we're very adaptable. We understand that we don't know everything. And as we learn more, we adapt to um, try to have an even larger impact um, on the world. Um, with that, we have uh, our mission as far as the physical adventures go is to do seven adventures in seven continents in seven years. And we just completed number four, which was um, Asia this year, where we ran, uh, ran and cycled 100 kilometers on the Great Wall. And we're just nailing down next year. It looks like it's going to be New Zealand is going to be our fifth continent. And um, we're working on some epic um, trails in New Zealand, one on the North Island and one on the South Island, that um, we're going to try to do um, some type of endurance run on them and piecing that together right now that will leave europe and antarctica to go you know europe we have a lot of options antarctica is the one that's gonna that's the yet one because that's the challenge that we still have yet to figure out how to do we'll get there we just need to figure out what that looks like maybe do some um uh some uh dog sledding with penguins and <laughs> that would be great <laughs> i'd love to be on a dog sled that's one of the things too this year we we mixed in um kayaking and cycling which so was interesting. Have yeah. every other year just been running, and this year you mixed in the other two sports? Yes, the, uh, the others have just been running. And, um, and this was good because we stretched the boundaries of, of the whole team. Um, as Brad was saying, that he hadn't been on a bike since he was 12 years old. And uh, this pushed his boundaries a little bit here, too, because now part of this was cycling. It wasn't just, um, it wasn't just running. So we're all about challenging ourselves and, and trying something different that we're not sure we can do. What was that like for you to try a new kind of activity that might have been um, uh, a little bit kind of scary uh, to try something like that new that's kind of outside of your comfort zone from from what you were used to with running? Yeah, so for me, I'm pretty good. Um, I, I, I use a tandem bike quite a bit. In fact, Charles and I are... Um, we put together a team of um, three other blind cyclists and their and their stokers or or pilots on the front of the tandem. So the blind athlete is the stoker in the back of the tandem, and the pilot or captain is in the front. And we're competing in the race across America this June. So our next big event, with Charles and I are doing together on a bike, is this 3,100 mile race across the U.S. Um, in less than nine days. So it's 24 hours a day, trying to maintain a high average speed, 
constantly have a bike moving in uh, in a four bike relay format. So we have four hours on and four hours off um, for about seven to eight days as we cross the country. So for me, that's my next new challenge. And that's where I get into cycling. I, I just started cycling about four or five years ago and um, just decided to jump in big and go for something like this. Our mission on this race in June is focusing on the abysmal unemployment rate for folks who are vision impaired. It's, um, it's about 70%, which is nuts. And what we're out to show is ability in the face of disability, just breaking notions of what people can do that have a disability or just aren't quite like the average. And really what we're doing with this is um, focusing on all the skills that a vision impaired person in particular has. When you go into a job interview, for instance, or we talk to hiring managers and we ask them, what are you looking for? You know, they usually say problem solving, somebody who works well with others, somebody who can listen, all these great skills, um, organization. We almost never hear somebody say they need to be able to read a computer screen. They need to be able to drive themselves to work. They need to be able to do these other um, tasks. So what we get down to is the fact that we can solve these, these problems about reading a screen or getting to work. And what somebody with a disability often has in overcoming their adversity that they've had in their life is the ability to problem solve, the ability to work well with others, the ability to take on a challenge and see it through. So we're trying to highlight the advanced ability of individuals and just deal with the weaknesses, you know, just as all of us do. But for somebody who's vision impaired, this is a much more, um, much more dramatic um, situation. But it's still the same. You know, all of us have these abilities. And somebody who's vision impaired, we've often trained ourselves to have advanced abilities in certain areas. Like we were talking about with hearing, you know, I don't hear any better than, than the norm. I just pay attention to it a lot more and I've trained myself to pay attention to it a lot more. So do I have an advanced ability to hear? No. Do I have an advanced ability to listen? Yes. You know, I listen much better than average people do. And that's our mission with this Race Across America this summer, too, which is extending a little bit from Team C possibilities. But it's overall, it's the same mission of, of really uh, focusing on the strengths, not labeling, and bringing out the best ability in, in, in every individual. Through all the different things that you're doing and with that main core theme in mind, what do you want your impact to be uh, at the end of the day through all the different things that you've done? Um, what effect do you want that to have on the world? Um, I'd like to have a world where people are more accepting of each other. I think oftentimes when we doubt ourselves, that's the root of judgment of others. And we are becoming and maybe always have been just way too judgmental of other people and ourselves. And if we, if we love ourselves, if we have this sense of fulfillment and ability within ourselves, that moves to how we view and treat others as well. Um, this idea of having to, um, you know, separate or segregate um, individuals because of a disability or because of any reason, you know, is is really silly when we look at it uh, at the big picture. And 
my long-term goal is to is to foster that more acceptance and for all the kids out there that have heard the story of what you've done what key takeaway do you want them to have yeah it's it's interesting i think um i don't look at what i do or what i've done as anything really special it's just about you know taking one step at a time and that's what I'd like the kids to realize is just to go out there, put one foot in front of the other, you know, take a step towards something that they'd like to do and learn from their mistakes. Don't worry if it doesn't work and try to ignore people that say that they can't do something, whether it's for their own um, best interest or, you know, fear of the folks that are often well-meaning that are telling them that that's not a good idea to do or not to do um, what they're trying. You know, go ahead and make mistakes, um, try your best, and really challenge yourself. And don't worry too much about what other people think. Thanks for listening to another episode of Inside the Adventure. That was the story of Dan Berlin, whose initial hike across the Grand Canyon inspired me and one of my good friends to try something very similar. Back in 2016, me and Carden Wyckoff, along with her family and a huge support network of incredible friends and believers in our cause, helped Carden become the first girl with muscular dystrophy to hike the entire 78-mile section of the start of the Appalachian Trail in Georgia. Check out piggybackadventures.com for the full details, and go out and try to inspire your friends by doing something similar, pushing your perceived limits, and never taking no for an answer. If you or someone you know has your own adventure story and would like to be featured on the show, you can contact us by visiting vestigo.co slash podcast. While on our website, you can also listen to our past episodes and subscribe to the show. Remember, your next adventure is right around the corner. The only thing stopping you is you. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week on Inside the Adventure.